Happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans out there. Let's give our veterans a big hand. So thankful for their service and the privilege we have. We got to exercise our rights and our responsibility to vote this week. And you know what? It doesn't matter who won because God's in control. We do what we're supposed to do, right? And, you know, it's funny how the voting process and democracy can be such a thing that, 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 that tears people apart. Well, what brings us together is Jesus Christ. And the Bible, I love, the, I love this verse in the book of Proverbs. It says, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And, you know, it's wonderful. Nothing surprises him. He even knows what's going to happen in the Florida recount. Not that the Florida has ever done a recount before, but he already knows what's going to happen there. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want to invite your attention to Acts chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want to thank a group of special young people from Baptist Bible College who came this week. They volunteered. Let me tell you what they did. They painted. They cleaned. They stomped the dumpster down a couple times so we could put more trash inside of it. They put an unbelievable playground together. If you want to go back and look at it after church, you're welcome to. Uh, they the hung doors, painted. Man, they just did everything, and they took their time out of their schedule uh, to serve in our church and um, just help us out. And they did some of the yuckiest, dirtiest, uh, you know, unforgiving work, uh, but they did it with a smile, and they did it with a great attitude, so I want to honor them this morning. Our students from BBC, thank you very much. For the great job you did, great, great job you did. Love those young men and young women training to be gladiators for the Lord, and they already are, and we're thankful for them. Uh, this is uh, really a neat time for our church. We're kind of either two or three weeks away from being in our building right now, or being in the right part of our building, excuse me. Uh, and I, I would invite you to go check it out after church today if you get a, an opportunity to do that. Uh, the pathway's pretty clear. You'll see lots of uh, things happening. The, uh, the children's area and the Spanish church uh, already have carpet up, or carpet installed, excuse me. Uh, the office's carpet's getting done this week. Our Champions Club carpet uh, is getting installed this week, and we need to be praying. If I, I tell you what, a pastor's dream happened to me in church on the way in this morning. Somebody said to me, Pastor, let us know if there's anything we can do to help. Yes. We need help in almost every way you could think, and if you want to be a part of that, please see me after church. Uh, we have uh, our Champions Club. In order to facilitate that, that's going to cost us between sixty dollars and $70,000 in equipment. That's a lot of money, but that's going to give us an opportunity to really minister to special needs kids in our area, and if that's something the Lord has put on your heart to be a burden uh, for you, that you want to be a part of sponsoring or helping or just doing whatever... You let us know. You let me know after church today, and uh, we will certainly uh, put you on the right path to helping out with that. Uh, I love the book of Acts. I love uh, what I'm going to talk to you about today. This series called Identity Theft, where uh, the idea is our world is working very hard to program our thinking. Uh, there's lots of influences, whether you consider yourself on the far right or the far left or somewhere in the middle, or maybe you don't know where you lie. Uh, when it comes to politics and things like that, uh, you can't turn the TV or radio on to any kind of news program and not hear news that's, that's, that's spoken to us where there's opinion that's given with us. It's always opinion-based stuff. And we have to be very, very careful with that because what we established the first few weeks as we were talking about this idea of, of people trying to steal our identity is we have to go back to true truth. 
unchanging truth, something that will never change yesterday, today, or forever, and we understand that that is the Word of God. Can I get an amen? That's the Word of God. We've got to have something in our life that's secure, that doesn't change, because you know what? We change a lot. Uh, I said something in church a couple weeks ago, and I've been paying for it ever since. Uh, there's a, uh, an athletic competition that's going to take place today uh, that's going to impact a lot of people's lives in this room. And uh, I'm told that the football team from uh, the city of Philadelphia plays the football team from the city of Dallas tonight. Yeah, somebody told me that. I didn't have it on my schedule or anything. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I was acknowledging, not owning, but acknowledging that Dallas was America's team, America's team. And yeah. And anyway, my uh, in-law, friend, brother, Dan, uh, has been wearing me out with that all week long. Well, you, is the Cowboys your team now? I mean, what is, what's the deal? We don't even know who you like anymore. And then today, Monica Larson, one of our deacon's wives, came up to me and gave me this koozie here with the Cowboys on it, and on the other side it says America's team. Now, that, that's hurtful to me. That's hurtful, but uh, my words hurt me more, and I will be paying for that for a very, very long time, but it's okay. Um, but we change, right? We change. We change. How many of you don't look the same as you did 20 years ago for anybody that's old like me, right? Don't your kids love looking at your pictures when you were in high school? And your hair, Oh my gosh, your hair. Your hair was crazy 20 years ago. Or maybe your body was a little bit thinner-ish. Or maybe your body was a little bit thicker-ish. Or maybe there was just some different attributes about your body and your kids look at that and say, wow, that doesn't look like you, Dad. What happened? You changed a lot. Or you look so much older. Or, wow, you really did have dark hair. Believe it or not, my hair was as black as black could be when I was a young guy. And then I was like 22 or 23 and it just started going on me but it's still hanging in there, and I'm, I guess I should be thankful for that. But stuff changes, you know, and we kind of get caught up in this idea of change. We have to be careful about that to understand what doesn't change, and that's the Word of God. And I want to I tell you a, a really neat story today from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. Uh, it's a great, man, I tell you what, the book of Acts is such a great book to study. The transition from the Gospels to the church. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven, gives them kind of his, his disciples their last marching orders in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. He said, you're going to receive power after which the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and you will be witnesses for me simultaneously. And I added that word simultaneously because that's a literal translation of it. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the word. And that helps us to understand that we have a responsibility to share the gospel in Dallas, in the state of Texas, in the United States, in Mexico, in Canada, and in every other country throughout the world. That's our responsibility. That's why we support missions. Uh, our missionaries with Mana Worldwide to Europe, Katie, or excuse me, Nick and Katie Stewart, my son-in-law and my daughter, are in a church today in St. Louis, south of St. Louis area, uh, speaking uh, out of the word of God, sharing their testimony, asking churches to partner with our church, in sending them into Europe to minister to feeding centers, um, uh, churches, and they're also going to be doing work with, uh, with uh, sex trafficking victims. So we're excited about that, but we can't do that by ourselves. So we have other churches that we partner with to send other missionaries all throughout the world. That's how we do all of it at the same time. 
And, and, and as we understand what's happening in the, in the church at the time, Jesus, you know, he goes back into heaven after he was crucified and rose again from the grave. The disciples were kind of scared a little bit, but they received their marching orders. They got excited uh, because of what the Lord told them to do. And then, you know, when, when, when excitement happens, it happens in our lives too. When we get excited about stuff, sometimes uh, we, 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 we see great accomplishments for the Lord. Our faith grows. We have victories, and then trials happen, right? We kind of go up. We have the, the, I mean, I love those mountaintop experiences, but the valley is a reality for all of us at different times of our lives. And that's what happened to two of Jesus' followers named Peter and John, and I want to read that for you this morning in Acts chapter 4. God's Word says this, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they were talking to people. And, and it's significant because some of these guys mentioned in this passage were the same guys responsible for the death and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Uh, they were greatly disturbed, verse 2, because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, this resurrection of the dead was a big thing because it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This idea of this resurrection thing, that's what separated Uh, Two of these religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees did, but they didn't believe Jesus was resurrected. So even they were divided a little bit, okay? So it says in verse number three, they seized Peter and John, and because it was in the evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, Just important names here. These are some of the same guys that were, again, responsible for the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. This this, is the question they asked them. By what power or or, or by what name do you do this? And this was really an entrapment question because they knew. They were trying to get them to say some specific things so that they could have the same fate in front of them that Jesus had. Verse eight says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name or it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has come before the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. Now, this is great. If you circle stuff in your Bible, this is a great phrase to circle. They took notice of these men, because they had been with Jesus. Just, I want you to kind of grasp that thought for a second. Um, wouldn't it be a neat thing if people said about you, man, you, you kind of seem like somebody that spends time with Jesus, right? Wouldn't Jesus have a big impact on the way that you talk, on the way that you treat people, on the way that you love others, on the way that you're, maybe you're generous, on the way that maybe you uh, consider things in life? Their testimony was by the way that they were acting that they had been with Jesus, Verse 14, 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there, Peter and John healed this guy. This is why Peter and John were in trouble. They saw the guy that was healed. The Bible says there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. That's this council. And then conferred amongst themselves, what are we going to do to these guys, they said. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. But to stop them from spreading this word any further to people, we must warn them to no longer speak anymore in this name. Uh, then they called them together and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, he said, who is, who is, which is right in God's eyes? For us to listen to you or listen to him, you be the judges. And in verse number 20, huge, awesome, awesome testimony, it says, but as for us, we're not gonna stop speaking about the things that we've seen and heard. Uh, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over like it's really old. Oh, you know, your kids say that's over 40 years old, right? The emphasis on 40 here. But the guy that was healed was 40. What, and and, and the, the idea of that is this. This guy was 40 and people knew him for 40 years and knew he was lame for 40 years. And now he was walking again and they couldn't explain it. So to put these guys in jail for healing this man who was lame. It didn't kind of make sense. So they tried to threaten him. Hey, you guys got to stop talking about Jesus. Okay, we're not going to, we're not going to persecute you. We're not going to put you in jail. We're not going to hurt. But you, you got to stop talking about Jesus. It's too much. And P Peter and Paul's response was, we cannot help but talk about the things that we've seen and heard. Uh, I want you to think about, in a non-spiritual sense for just a second, what the most exciting thing that ever happened to you in your whole life, right? The most exciting thing that's ever happened to you in your whole life. For, for many of you, it'll be the birth of your firstborn child. That's a big, big day. That's kind of fun, right? Uh, some of you, it's your wedding day. Uh, some of you, it's maybe your first kiss. Some of you, it's the anticipation of your first kiss. Uh, for some of you, it's uh, maybe a big day in your career where you've got that big job that you worked your whole life for. Maybe it's uh, an athletic event that you were a part of or played on a team that won a big prize or a big championship or something like that. But you know, when those kind of things happen, I remember the day that my 30-year-old daughter, Christina, was born. Uh, it was at Riddle Memorial Hospital, Media, Pennsylvania. Uh, she was one of those babies that hated her parents sleeping, so she decided to enter to the world about two o'clock in the morning. And I remember that day. I remember weird things about that day. On that day, the NFC-AFC championships games were played to determine who was going to the Super Bowl. The Eagles were not playing that day. They were not playing that day. San Francisco was. I think they won and won the Super Bowl that year. Uh, I remember, remember the show on Fox 29, In Living Color? That's where Jim Carrey got his start. That's where the, Wayman, the, the Damon, Wayman brothers, I think, Wayne Brothers got their start of, 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 of fame and fortune. In Living Color started that weekend. I remember watching that show. Uh, we also watched The Simpsons on that show. That's how old The Simpsons are. We watched The Simpsons that night on TV waiting for Christina to be born. But I remember when Christina was born, uh, this is old, old school. She was actually born in an operating room, not in a birthing suite. You know, today babies are born in birthing suites, and it's warm, and there's, there's paneling and wood, and you're all by yourself. Well, when Christina was born, it was in a very cold 55-degree, it felt like, operating room that was all tile, 
And then Kim was taken into a room with another mom that had a baby. You didn't have your own rooms for your babies way, 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 way back then, right? So I, man, she was born. I was pumped up. I'm a new dad. I drive to my dad's store, which is only about four or five miles away because he opened at four o'clock in the morning. I said, Dad, she was born. I'm a dad. Christina Elizabeth Trinkle, you're a grandfather, Dad. She's beautiful. She's up. We'd have selfies or cell phones. I couldn't take pictures. We had to wait, you know, till we went up to the Kodak thing and developed the film three days later and picked it up in the little phone booth thing, whatever it was. But I'm telling him, oh, my baby, Dad, I got a girl. She's so beautiful. I'm going to take care of her. Um, she, he said, son, I'm so proud of you. But you need to go home and get a shower because you got to be at work in two hours. <laughs> there was no American disabilities slash, what is it called when you take a lot of time off when the babies are born? Family, family health care leave. or family, You didn't have any of that stuff. And we were self-employed anyway. My dad laughed at that when that came. Oh, you'll be working in two hours. And by the way, you're working 14 hours today. And you can tell your daughter that when she's an adult. He made sure to tell me that, you know, to remind me of that. I mean, I just remember that. I remember all my kids. And I can remember specific details of when they were born. And God's blessed us with these amazing grandchildren too. And I love talking about them. I mean, I was, I was here this morning when we were doing some setup stuff. And from all the way across the room, Logan saw me, and she, her eyes met my eyes. And we did the little kid run to each other, you know, where you're flopping around like that. And she jumped into Poppy's arms and made my day. And I love talking about that stuff. It's just fun, isn't it, the neat things that God blesses us with? And if somebody were to say to me, hey, Ed, love the grandkids thing, but man, you just talk about it too much, and it's a little bit annoying, I would say to you, I cannot help but talk about the things that I've seen and heard. You see, Peter and John saw something that was the most significant moment in the history of mankind. They saw Jesus Christ alive after he was crucified. They saw it. They saw him up on the cross and he bled and he suffered and he died. They saw the grave where they rolled the tomb over and put Roman guards in front of it because they knew something weird was going to happen. They were sad after Jesus died. Oh, what are we going to do? We're next. What's going to happen? And they just couldn't comprehend that Jesus told them time and time again that, that, that they're going to destroy the temple. And three days later, it's going to be built up again. That doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, okay, guys, listen. I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to be alive. You know, you can just see yourself talking to your kids about something that they're just not getting, and you got to grab them by both shoulders and say, aren't you listening to me? How many times did Jesus tell his disciples in the Gospels, I'm going to die. Three days later, God's going to raise me from the dead. And they're thinking, okay, that's a parable. That doesn't make any sense. Well, we saw him raise Lazarus, but how can he raise himself if he's dead? They didn't get it. Even after he was alive, they didn't even believe it. Thomas even said in John chapter 20, he said, okay, you tell me Jesus is alive? Well, until I see him, put my fingers into the holes of his hand and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus shows up. And what's Thomas say? Lord, forgive me, I believe. And then that great verse that says, Thomas, the only reason you believe is because you see me. Blessed are those who will never see me, yet still will believe. That's our blessing. Because we're gonna see him in, you know, in the afterlife or maybe when he comes back and takes the church home at the rapture. But we believe even though we, even though we haven't seen him. And if the Lord Jesus Christ has made 
a significant difference in your life. If you really understand the level of forgiveness that he's given you when you ask for forgiveness. If you really understand that he loves you in spite of you being and me being especially unlovable at times. If you understand that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you understand that God doesn't change his mind about how he feels about us. Listen to this. Like other people do. Do you have any former friends or even former family members that change the way they feel about you because of circumstances? Good decisions, bad decisions, you know. Uh, My youngest is sitting in the second row. She's part of the team from BBC and she's sitting next to her fiance. I always say boyfriend and I get in trouble for that, right? What's his, that's her boyfriend. No, it's her fiance. Oh, okay. And I've got, and I've got a, you know, she's my youngest. So it's kind of, you know, I'm still, I'm still working through that a little bit, you know, and it's all good. He's a great guy, but I'm still working through that a little bit. But the dynamic of our relationship is changing. It doesn't mean it's changing for the bad. It's just changing. And sometimes when the, deni- the, the, the dynamics of our relationship change, here's what we do. We choose not to care for that person anymore. That's too much for me. You know, if you've been hurt by a family member, if you've been hurt by somebody that's significant in your life or a friend didn't treat you the way that you would have liked to have been treated or a family member disagreed with a, with a, a, a forever, you know, a companion decision or whatever, whatever that may be for you, our relationships change, don't they? Here's the thing about the Lord. No matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think you are, the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change his mind about the way that he feels about you and me. And that's, that's, such, a, that's such a thing of comfort. And when you understand that Peter and John were, were at the front seat of all this stuff, first of all, they saw Jesus do so many things. <coughs> they said, we can't help but talk about the things that we've seen or heard. What are some of the things that they saw Jesus do? Peter saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Now, the Bible doesn't say that Peter was happy about that. Maybe he's like, oh, Jesus, why her? Couldn't you heal somebody else? She's kind of a nag to me. The Bible doesn't say that that's in there. But the Bible does say that Peter saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law from something she was very sick from. And it was significant. Peter and John saw Jesus speak, Lazarus, come forth. And this mummified dude comes walking out of the grave with all of the wrappings around him and the way that they would prepare a body for bed. And, and it's so great. If you read the King James Version, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. When Lazarus comes out, the Bible said this, says this, he stinketh. That's like junior high after two gym classes in soccer, coming home at night with dirty socks, and they walk in your door, and you say, he stinks, and it's just not good enough. When you say, he stinketh, that's like next level stinking. That's Lazarus stinking, right? And, and, and Peter and John saw this dead guy come out of a grave, and they, they, they were already done the morning. They, they were kind of there for the follow-up visit. Oh, they didn't get there in time. And somebody said, Jesus, if you had only been here, you could have healed him. Jesus said, I got a greater work that's gonna happen. And Peter and John saw that. One of the neatest miracles. Man, seeing a dead person alive again had to be very compelling and, and, and just amazing. But I want you to think about this miracle for a second. These two miracles took place. When Jesus fed the masses, Great leadership lessons when Jesus fed the masses. When you read about these miracles where 
the disciples on one of the, one of the two occasions said this to Jesus. Jesus, it's getting kind of late. You told us we were going to sit by the fire tonight and have our little holy huddle, our little Jesus small group, right? And we were just going to be with us and nobody else, and you're going to pour into us. And we got to get these people to go. They're hungry. They need to go home. And Jesus said, okay, well, you feed them. And they're thinking, no, I want to go to our small group of Jesus. They were mad. They liked their uh, intimate time and alone time with Jesus. Jesus said, you feed them. And they're like, no, we can't feed them. We only have five loaves of bread and two fishes. We can't feed them. And Jesus said, sit them down in companies of 50s and 100s and come on back here and we're gonna do something cool. And the Bible said, Jesus took that little bit of food that fed maybe a family and a half, lifted it up towards heaven, blessed it. Father, just like we do when we pray. That's our kind of model for thanking God when we pray before we eat, right? Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Bless the hands that have prepared it. Uh, help it to be nourishment to our bodies and our bodies for your service. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever been hungry, you know what it means and how significant it is to pray before your meal. It's important. It's a, it's a great thing to do. So Peter and John saw him do that, and then Jesus said this. Okay, guys, grab the baskets and start feeding everybody. Now, if that wasn't enough to say, holy stink, this guy is the real deal, right? They take these baskets. Now, listen to this. Of the miracle that Jesus performed, and Jesus said to the disciples, now you distribute this miracle that I performed. And they went from family to family. This is Kelly Young. He's my neighbor. He's wearing a great shirt today, by the way. That's what I'm talking about right there. Kelly Young's my buddy. Kelly's also doing all the electricity for our building. Somebody give Kelly a big hand. That's just a way for me to tell you we can't pay you yet. That's all that is, right? So, so Kelly's my neighbor. They live about two blocks away from us. And um, Kelly and I are buddies, same size guys. We have a lot in common. We have short, tiny, crazy wives. I mean, we just kind of feel for each other, right? <laughs> but I know this about Kelly. Kelly's got three great kids, two beautiful girls and one really good, super, super young man of a son. And I know if you do something nice to Kelly, Kelly's going to appreciate that. He will. You know, if you hook a brother up, give him some business, give him a shirt that fits him, whatever, you'll be his buddy. But listen to this. If you do something for one of his kids, you got a friend for life right there. Because he doesn't want for himself. All, every, all, all that you two do is for your kids. The thrift store stopping, the, the thrift. How many people like shopping at thrift stores? Anybody else like shopping at thrift stores? All of them. Gary said all of them. Holla. I believe it. I believe it. So anyway, um, but the super, super people, great parents. The Ings are the same way. Beautiful girls, love their kids. A lot of you just have wonderful, wonderful kids. But you know what it's like, mom and dad. If you have kids, somebody does something nice to you, you're like, oh, that's cool, thank you. But if they do something nice for your kids, there's almost, there's almost nothing you wouldn't do for them, right? So here's Peter and John, right? They got all this food, listen, for hungry people. And they go to a dad and say, take all that you want for yourself and your kids and be full. And that gratitude of that father and that mother was directed eye contact with Peter and John. They didn't even do the miracle. They were like the ushers, you know, to take the offering. Had a guy say to me one time, uh, that they were, it was years and years ago, he said to me one time, how do you expect people to give money into a church with an usher that looks like that? I said, what are you talking about? Well, I wouldn't give if I was in a church with ushers that look sloppy or ushers that were women. I said, well, wait a minute. If you wouldn't give in a church where ushers look like that or those people or ushers that are women, you're going to the wrong church because we don't give to our ushers. We give to the Lord, That's right. right? Somebody say amen to that real loud. Amen, right? 
So when you do something for, for him, it's cool. When you do something for his kids, we're, we're, we're bros for life. There's no two ways about it. And that's the what Peter, that's the gratitude that Peter and John and all the other disciples received the day that that miracle was performed. They got the gratitude for the work that Jesus did. And as his followers, we get that same opportunity when we tell people about Christ. When you invest in somebody spiritually and they appreciate your personal investment, whether it's through a group, discipleship, one-on-one, or just telling that person about Jesus, there's a debt that, that they kind of form with you where truly that debt is to Jesus, but we get to receive that gratitude, just like the, the, the disciples did. They saw him do so many things, but here's something even more intimate and wonderful than that. They heard Jesus speak. Can you, we get, you know, and it's such a privilege we get to open up this book and read the words and understand the works and the things that Jesus did. John 20 tells us there aren't enough volumes in the world to give the true full story of all that Jesus did when he was here on the earth. And we get to read about it. But you know what's really cool? They got to hear Jesus speak. A couple years ago, my dad left me a message on my phone, and it was really just one of those messages that just, man, it was just like a neat dad thing. And now that my dad's later in years, that message is more precious to me than it was the day I received it, because I like to hear his voice, and I'm thankful I still can, but I know there's going to be a day that I might not be able to. Peter and John heard those things from Jesus. They heard you know, just little things. Can you know, if you've got a favorite grandma, grandpa, or aunt, or uncle, or maybe have a very close relationship with your mom or dad, and you can remember some very specific things that they taught you, or, or remember uh, the, the first time that your, your sweet wife said, I love you to you, or the, remember the first time that one of your kids talked to you, or, or thing, and that's just, that's just I, don't, I don't know how else to say this. It's even just a precious noise. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Christina's baby this week started smiling and started just making little <laughs> undiscernible baby words except for parents and grandparents, right? But they're precious. And listen, Peter and John heard the voice box, heard the words of the one, listen to this, that said, let there be light. And there was light. Can you, can you comprehend that just for a moment? And here they are telling Peter and John not to talk about him anymore. Are you kidding me? Right? So they, they talked about this good news. This man that, that, that everything that came out of his mouth and all the things that he did were so counterculture, were so not what everybody else was doing. It was just, they were just full of goodness and kindness and love and this word, good news, is really a literal translation of the word called the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But that word gospel means good news, and that's what Jesus was to this world. So how do we live really quickly? A gospel-centered life. The first thing is this. See, see what God is doing in your life. Sometimes we don't see what God's doing in our lives because we're focused on the wrong things. Does that make sense? Uh, God reveals himself, first of all, natural, through natural revelation. The Bible tells you, if you want to know that God is alive, go outside tonight and look up at the stars in the sky. 
The Bible says in Psalm 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, listen to this, displays his handiwork. That's pretty cool. It's like a kid coming home with a finger painting drawing. You put it up on the fridge to display it. When you look out in creation, that is natural revelation. That's our way of knowing that God is, he's alive. But there's also supernatural revelation. When God directly reveals himself to us, the Bible teaches us in Acts 4, verse number 12, Peter said this, a great anthematic type of verse, a defensive verse about the gospel, about Jesus when he said, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. Why did Peter and John, why did Peter specifically say that? Because it was revealed to him supernaturally through the understanding of the Holy Spirit and a one-on-one meeting, non-confrontational, reality meeting with Jesus Christ. And you know what's wonderful? If God has, if you've asked God to forgive you, if you've asked Jesus Christ to save you, you have personally experienced supernatural revelation where God has revealed himself to you. And if you are gonna be a a believer that's living a gospel-centric or a gospel-centered life, you are able to see or comprehend or understand or grasp what God is doing in your life. Here's the second thing. This is harder. We see it, right? We see the red light. We don't always stop for it, right? We see something we're supposed to do. We don't always act the right way. Sometimes we do, right? Sometimes we do. But there's a next thing we see, we acknowledge, but here's the number two. We need, if we're gonna live a gospel-centered life, we need to listen to what God is telling us. We need to listen. Um, my mom said to me one time when I was little, and she wasn't being mean, I needed to hear this. She said, I'm gonna get your hearing tested because I say so many things to you and you never listen to me and the reason you're not listening to me is, is because you're deaf. And I said to my mom, Mom, I hear great. I know you hear great, but why aren't you listening to me? You know, it's kind of one of those things, and she was right. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this. It is impossible. It is impossible. It can't happen. Impossible means, humanly speaking, we're not able to do it. Um, there are some things that you know, humanly speaking, that are impossible for you to do. What's impossible for you to do. Maybe it's impossible for you to comprehend why somebody would run 26.2 miles and do a full marathon. Has anybody in this room ever done a full marathon? Anybody? Gladiator, if you've had. Ben, have you done a full marathon? Wow, recently? No, I didn't think so. Anyway, but Ben, a full marathon. Hey, give him a big hand. That's unbelievable. What a great achievement that is. Some of you would say, today, today, it's impossible for me, Kelly, would you, Kelly, is it impossible today for you to run a full marathon? It's impossible for me. Now, it's possible with training, and, but it, today, I can absolutely tell you, with no question in my mind, it's it. Now, if somebody were to tell me, if you run a whole marathon today, that $797 million lotto jackpot would be yours, man, I would try hard. <laughs> but, it'd be, but honestly, I know it would be impossible for me to do that in my current shape. But the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six 6, that it is impossible to please God if you don't have faith. Just kind of let that sink into your brain a little bit and let it, let it filter into your heart because here's what this means. It means if we don't believe in what's impossible by God, then we're not pleasing God. Um, 
We had Pastor Miles, who was here last week, and did a great, great job. And he quoted you two sweet ladies right back there in the middle. One of you said to Anthony, he wrote it on our board this week, and said, I'm just telling you right now, and you kind of went grandma on him a little bit. I'm just telling you right now, when that building's done, this church is gonna triple. I don't know who said it, but one of you two said that to my friend, Pastor Anthony, last week. Carol, you said it? Thank you for saying that to him. Please pray that it happens. We pray that it happens, right? She believes in something that doesn't seem humanly possible. That's faith. When we don't have faith, we're not pleasing God, right? When it seems impossible to give more, I can't do that. And that's the thing. When, we, when, you, hear, when you hear me talk to you guys uh, about giving, I'm not asking you to do what you can do because we can't do what we can do because you know what? What we can do isn't enough. We've got to ask God to do what's what? Impossible. I don't understand it, God. It's impossible. What, what, what we're on the doorstep of, of being a part of as soon as we, and it's a tool, it's nothing more than a good hammer and a good saw. It's impossible what our church has been through over the past year, but with God, all things are possible. But we don't please God until we believe the impossible, not the probable. I, I can handle that or I can do that. No, the impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then it says this, anyone who wants to come to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. We have to listen to what God is telling us to do. And sometimes in order to listen to God, you know what we need to do? Give him permission to talk to us. Did you ever pray that prayer? Uh, um, I, I, I told you about a guy I met a few years ago and I was doing a camp over in England in front of Buckingham Palace, the big whatever it was, the statue that's out there. I don't even know what it is. And he was a guy from Turkey. And I probably talked to him for 15 minutes. And in 15 minutes, I bet you he smoked a whole pack of cigarettes. He was like... He just kept going. And I'm not hating on people that smoke cigarettes. I'm just telling you, this guy smoked more cigarettes than I've ever seen anybody smoke in my life, right? So we're smoking. He just said this. It just doesn't seem possible that God really is. He says, I am an atheist. I said, okay, then do this. Say this to God. God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. If you're real, and if he's not real, those words are just gonna go fly away and go nowhere. But if they are real, the Bible says he rewards those that diligently seek him, Right? Listen to what God is telling you. And sometimes listening, you know what we have to do to listen? Sometimes we have to be quiet. Does it, have you ever prayed and not talked? How does that make any sense? Pray but not talk. Sometimes, you know why God isn't speaking to us? Because we're saying too much. Sometimes our prayers are, listen, we're supposed to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. God wants us to take our burdens, our petitions, you know, and as a father, I get that, and I love how that 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 how how the the Bible teaches us that God is our Father. And man, as a dad, I just I just have a great understanding of that. But I, I know this: I don't mind when my kids ask me for stuff. I really don't. I kind of like that they still come to their dad. But every once in a while, a dad likes to hear "I love you." Every once in a while, it's nice to get a little card back of acknowledgement. Every once in a while, it's nice to when they come up and say, Dad, I love you. And, they, and you know what? That's enough. Just the acknowledgement of the relationship. And when you think about how much more our Heavenly Father, what? Loves us. Loves us. So if we're going to live a gospel-centered life, we've got to see what God is doing. We've got to listen to what God is telling us. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. John 10.27 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Here's the last thing I'll submit to you this morning. 
to have a gospel-centered life. See what God is doing. Listen to what God wants you to hear. And number three, make the gospel the good news. Listen to this. The centerpiece of your life. Now, now, that's easier to say than it is to do. Because we're taught today that our careers are the centerpiece of our life. We're taught today that, now, now stay with me here. I don't, I don't want you to come back and say, Pastor said that. Now listen, you have to hear all of it in order to get what I'm telling you here. We're taught today that our kids are the centerpiece of our lives. Right? I love my kids. Almost nothing I wouldn't... Is that a double negative, Miss Pam? Almost nothing I wouldn't do for them. I don't know if that makes any sense. But there's not too much I wouldn't do for my kids. Like many of you parents, you get that, right? But my kids are not supposed to be the centerpiece of my life and existence. Don't hate me, parents. Let me finish. God is. That's hard. That's easy to say. I could say it to you pretty easy because it's in my notes and I wrote it this week. But it's harder to do. The gospel being the centerpiece of your life means this. In Acts 4.13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For, for They could see that they were not ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. But they also recognized them as men that had been with Jesus. You see, if the gospel is the centerpiece of your life, then what the things that you talk about, the things that you've seen, the things that you've heard, the things that you repeat, the things that you share, all have to do with being somebody that has been saved and delivered and loved and forgiven and part of the family of God this morning. It's significant to you. Not just something you do that you're supposed to do so you don't spend forever in a really, really hot place called hell. Yes, Jesus wants to save you to be with him forever, but I want you to understand something. Jesus wants to save you from some of the hell you're going through in your life right now because life is hard. It is hard trying to be a good dad and a good grandpa and a good friend and a good member of our society. It's hard to be a, a woman that's uh, in our culture today. If you're a professional woman or a stay-at-home mom, it's hard because there's so many forces against us. Jesus saved us not just forever, but for today. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And if the gospel is the center of your life, now, that doesn't mean you walked everybody, everybody you see going, Jesus, 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 right? And you act like some crazy knucklehead. No, that's not what that means. But what it does mean is when you see a guy, how old are you, buddy? 12 years old, doing something that's knuckleheadish. Kevin, not that he ever would. He would never do, he would never wear these sneakers, sneakers to a work day. He would never do anything like that. I was there, I heard that that day. It was funny. He would never do it, right? And sometimes, we mature adults see kids do something weird and we're like, ugh. You know, we forget that we were kids, right? But if the gospel is the centerpiece of your life, it's gonna make you treat him with respect and dignity and love because he's watching you and you see that you can be an influence on him because of the gospel. Is the gospel, the gospel, the good news, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the centerpiece of your life this morning. Let's pray.